Welcome to the One Mind Podcast from AboutMeditation.com. My name's Morgan Dix, and I'm your host. On One Mind, we explore different angles on meditation, mindfulness, and health. We interview experts and everyday practitioners to bring you the stories, the science, and the exploration that will help you understand why this ancient practice is more relevant and important today than ever before. Hi everyone, welcome to the show and thank you for taking the time to join us. Today I am super excited to share my interview with licensed acupuncturist and meditation teacher Dave Ironman. I met Dave about a year and a half ago at a lecture and we hit it off right away when we discovered our shared interest in meditation. Dave has been a student of meditation for nearly 20 years and he currently leads weekly meditation groups at his holistic healing center. I had a great time interviewing Dave. We covered a lot of ground and we get pretty detailed in discussing a lot of the challenges that people come up against in meditation. I think you're going to get a lot out of this episode, especially the part when we talk about what it really means to have a healthy relationship to the grief and emotional pain that can often naturally arise in our experience when we meditate. It's so, so human for this to happen. And all of us struggle with challenging feelings in our lives. Dave and I explore what it means not to run from those feelings. So let's jump right in to this interview with Dave Ironman. Dave, welcome to the show. I'm so glad to have you on here. Welcome. Hey, Morgan. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Awesome. So I think we can just dive right in. I'd, I'd love if you could share with us a little bit about your own story. How did you come to meditation? And then how did you come to the point where you're now teaching it? It's a wonderfully winding road. Yeah. I was first introduced to meditation when I was a teenager. It started to answer some questions for me of, of there's something else that I is out there that I can't quite see or touch and it's not being shown in school, it's not being talked at home, but there's something else. And I met somebody when I was a teenager who started just opening up like, hey, there's this thing called mindfulness, there's this thing called meditation, there's all this other stuff that's out there. And mm. I said, it just I just got really hooked into it and thought it was fantastic. And so I meditated fairly regularly for a little while, but then being a teenager, I fell off the radar and and I went to college. And when I was a sophomore in college, I was in a whitewater rafting accident and nearly drowned. And when I finished that day, I sort of came to a realization that from that point on, I need to sort of like reset my clock and come back to the basic foundations and rebuild things for myself. And... I started exploring, just felt naturally drawn towards Zen and towards Buddhism, and meditation was a, a, an integral part of that. So I loved the beauty and the simplicity of those doctrines, and it just started to blossom from there. Mm-hmm. So that and, was in college? Yes, yes. And then I've, done a, I've had a very wide variety of careers. I was a math major in college. I was a computer programmer for a few years after college. Hmm. And then I taught English 
um, in Prague and in Japan for a couple of years before nice. I then came back to the States and taught high school. And now I'm an acupuncturist and I teach meditation. But through all that winding global studies and, and variation, meditation and was sort of like a bedrock for me. It was one of those things I would come back to and remind me of calm and remind me of who I am and what I'm feeling in the moment and kind of let whatever craziness was going on in my life. And, you know, life has a lot of things going on. It sort of allowed me to just remind myself of, oh, right, this is me. Yeah. Who am I? This is me. Now I can step forward more clearly into whatever the details of my day are. Mm. Um, and then I started when I, I moved to DC for a little while and there's a woman named Tara Brock, who's a, a wonderful teacher. Oh yeah. I love Tara Brock. She's just, she's fantastic. She's beautiful. She is like such a, just a warm hearted, beautiful being. Yes. 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 And she holds a, a, a donation based meditation group um, at this church in, in Maryland, or it's a chapel, I, I'm not sure, in Maryland every Wednesday night. And a friend of mine introduced me to that, and we started going fairly regularly, and it just was amazing hmm. to be sit in a room of 200 or 300 people all just listening to Tara guide us through a, an insight meditation. It was just a, a tremendous experience. Hmm. Then when eventually I moved to Massachusetts. May I ask, Dave? Yes, I heard her for the first time recently on the Tim Ferriss podcast. And mm -hmm. right, right afterwards, I went out and bought her book, Radical Acceptance. Yes. And I was just taken by her. And also I, I had known about her work for a long time, respected her, just you know, seeing the breadth of what she's done. But I'd be curious, tell me just a little bit in what it was that you were impacted by in those sessions with her. I found a couple of things. One, it was a, a place of community where there was a lot of people who came together to sit and to, you know, in a place of non-ego of like, oh my God, she's so great. You know, I have, I have to like pray to her. It's, it was non, you know, dogmatic in that sense. Yeah. But it, she just spoke on very simple values to apply it to a world that is increasingly complex. And so to break down some stuff that was, you know, remarkably, it can be remarkably intricate relationships and complex in conversations and emotions that go on in our lives. And for her to boil them down to very simple concepts, it was such a breath of fresh air, mm. um, such a joy of finding the simplicity from the chaos. Yeah. And cool. I really just enjoyed her approach and it just resonated with me in a, in a very profound way. Mm, got it. And so even after I moved out of DC and wasn't able to attend her sessions locally, she puts all her recordings from her sessions from Wednesday nights up on the, on her website. Mm -hmm. And so I was downloading them and still felt connected and was able to do that when I was halfway around the world. Nice. Yeah, it was, it was wonderful. And yeah. so when I moved to Massachusetts, I was looking for that same Thing. I was looking for a similar kind of place where obviously you can't, you can't duplicate the experience, but something of that nature. And I had a hard time finding it. So I took it on myself to create it. Mm -hmm. And so I've 
I do this a couple times a week where I run a donation-based meditation group. It's very similar. It's, it's modeled after hers where we just sit and we meditate and we talk about the principles behind meditation and how do you apply that to the world of 2015. Yeah. With all so, the med- I'm sorry, with all the meditation texts and these practice being around for so long when life was so much simpler than it is now, mm-hmm. the idea of how do you apply these more simple techniques and ideas to a very complex, always on world that we live in now. Yeah, that's great. And I want to start to get into a few questions around that, around, you know, the work you're doing with, you know, in that group. But it sounds like through all this, you had a regular practice. Is that it right? It came and it went. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah, which is true for a lot of us, yes. Right. I'm definitely not saying that I've meditated half an hour every day for the last 20 years. Definitely, definitely not. It definitely ebbs and flows, but it the more that I have done it over time, mm-hmm. the more readily I can notice when I need it when I haven't been doing it. Got it. So <laughs> if I, I skip a day because I wake up early, I've got to catch a flight, or I'm I'm got an early client or whatever, like, all right, I... I I won't, I won't meditate those days. And then it's easy to fall out of the habit, but it becomes much more apparent when I've fallen out of the habit. I'm like, wait a minute, I'm more easily off and I'm more easily shaken from who I know I am and from the calmness that I know is within me. Hmm. So I got to get back to sitting. Nice. Okay, cool. So then in the context of the group that you're, you're working with, you mentioned to me offline some of the things that you encounter working with people. And I'd like to ask you about that and and maybe focus on that a little bit. So my group is requires no experience. Nice. And I have a lot of people who have never meditated before. They just see it and like, all right, well I want to try it. Or I've heard something, I heard it's supposed to good for quieting the mind or releasing stress or something like that. Or my doctor told me to do it. And like, all right, cool. So people have no experience. Um, some people say, I'm even skeptical that this could work. And like, oh, that's fine, but you're here. So yeah. And then I get a lot of questions from, from people who are relatively new to it about, wait, this happened. I don't, I don't understand. Like, am I doing it wrong? Or I fell asleep. Is, is that okay? Or I noticed that I just kept getting lost in my thoughts and how do I make that stop? And, and am I doing it wrong? And all of those things I try, you know, to be able to find that, place of saying, hey, these things are actually signs that you're doing it right, that you're on the right path. And these things are totally normal to happen. Mm -hmm. And this is what it means underneath. For instance, for somebody who says, oh, I fell fell asleep, I said, all right, great. When I was first taught to meditate, I was shown to do it. It was recommended I do it in bed at night right before falling asleep. Mm -hmm. So if I happen to fall asleep in the middle of it, all right, cool, no, no, no big deal. And there's a couple of reasons that I have found for that. I'm sure there are others, but you know, we go, 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 do, do, do so much that when we finally have a chance to sit and be still, sometimes out of just sheer fatigue, we fall asleep. <laughs> <laughs> yep, totally, man. I, I, that's absolutely true. And sometimes it's also like a more. It's either fatigue or conditioning. Hey, I'm still, when I'm still, I sleep. Because otherwise I'm going and I'm doing. Yeah. Just for the record, everybody, it took me, I think, eight years. And I've been meditating for 20 years. It took me about eight years of like formal training 
before I really stopped falling asleep on a, on a regular basis. And a lot of the reasons Dave's talking about are some of the reasons I was encountering. Uh, other reasons had to do with like the somewhat extreme context I was meditating in. But yeah, so I, I think this is great for you to speak to this because I think it's an issue that a lot of people contend with. They don't necessarily have a framework or a context to understand why is this happening to me. Right. Right. Oh, I must be doing it wrong or I'm not doing it. Yes. And it, it's, there's nothing wrong if you fall asleep, you know? Totally. I, I, I tell people all the time, there's not a, this is not a game or a, like a, whether you can win. <laughs> yeah. Nobody wins at meditation or, and I don't agree. I don't necessarily agree with the term meditation master. I think everybody is a practitioner and I liken it to sports, you know, you know, Michael Jordan, when he was playing, didn't wake up one day and like, done, I solved basketball. Never yeah. have to do this again. Yeah. It's it's a practice. It's something that you're always doing. He would still take, you know, free throw practice. And there's there's never a point where you just you hit a goal and like you're done. Yeah. And and you don't often hear the quote unquote masters themselves calling themselves masters, or really authentic masters. You you tend to hear that from other people because i think you know a real master would probably be very deeply aligned with what yes. you're talking about a master as such say. does it doesn't need to say hey i'm a master like, yeah like okay yeah. so what it's that you know the dalai lama himself considers himself a meditation practitioner mm -hmm. and that's the dalai lama i mean i don't know too many people on the planet who have as much or more experience meditating yeah. than he so you know, it's it's a real humbling thing to say, you know, all right, I'm just, I'm taking my whack at it today. I'm practicing it. I'm just noticing where I'm going and I'm yeah. taking some control over myself in that sense. Yeah. Yeah, that's great. I'm sure it relieves people of a certain amount of anxiety and also probably some measure of just like feeling bad about themselves when you give them a context where it's just like, hey, look, it's okay. Yeah, I mean, we have to have permission to be human. Yes. You know, there's there's this idea that if you're meditating, you're supposed to be total zen and not ever have an emotion or not have a thought. And if you're thinking it's wrong, and and it's a it's such a fallacy. And and I mean, I understand some of why it's come about. Some mm -hmm. of the people who teach it, you know, they've been practicing for a long time, so they can they can come from their place of wisdom. They're coming yeah. from a place of experience. Like, hey, this can this is where it can go. But it's not necessarily like, hey, here are all the steps along the way that took to get here. Yeah. So we have to give ourselves permission to be human. And Tara Brock offered this essay. I don't think she wrote it, but she shared this on, uh, on one of her online videos. And I'm going to read it. It says, if you can start the day without caffeine or pet pills, if you can be cheerful, ignoring aches and pains, if you can resist complaining and boring people with your troubles, if you can understand when loved ones are too busy to give you time, if you can overlook when people take things out on you, when through no fault of your own, something goes wrong, if you can take criticism and blame without resentment, if you can face the world without lies and deceit, if you can conquer tension without medical help, if you can relax without liquor, if you can sleep without the aid of drugs, then you are probably a dog. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. I mean, we have this idea that we're supposed to 
never take things personally and that's the worst thing you can do and you really you know, got me you really got me on that one like, <laughs> that was the like, last thing i expected it? it's perfect and it's we have to give ourselves permission to be human we're here we are going to grow we are going to slip we everybody on the face of the planet has done something wrong has done something immoral everybody on the face of the planet has done something wrong even going into it knowing it was wrong that's part of being human doesn't necessarily condone the behavior, but if we can give ourselves a moment of compassion and say, hey, I'm not perfect. I'm not this super swami deity who never does anything wrong. It's it can relieve some of the expectation around meditation. Yeah. You're not supposed to just sit down and never have a thought and everything just be totally zen from the moment you start. That's completely unrealistic. What else do people encounter when they start meditating that you've noticed? Like what are what are some so you've mentioned sleep, you've mentioned like the kind of pressure people put on themselves when they don't think they're doing it right. But yes. can can you can you speak a little bit more more about that? Sure. There's there's also um when people sit down and stop moving and close their eyes, their thoughts are going pretty fast. We work with our thoughts all the time. We need to in order to drive a car, in order to hold a conversation, in order to write a paper or pay our bills. We need to have thought. But so much more in, this, in our culture, we're becoming very fractured in our thought. I have to do this and take care of this. And when I'm going home to pick up milk and take this, and I forgot to call that person, is it going to be mad? And yeah, it can go kind of go kind of nuts. But we just assume that's just the way life is. And so often people are just just in it. And they don't recognize how discordant that is and how disharmonious that is. So when people sit and start meditating, oftentimes that continues to go for a couple of reasons. One, it's like, hey, I finally have your attention. You're not doing anything else. Your mind says, I finally have your attention. Great. Here's everything I need to tell you about. Yeah. Here's everything you got to do. And it can be pretty overwhelming. The other reason is, you know, if the mind is going so fast, so fast, so fast, you know, if you're driving on a highway 65 miles an hour and you take your foot off the gas, your car doesn't come to a halt immediately. It's got a natural momentum of yeah. still going. So the mind is still going to go even if you sit still. Absolutely. So it's when people like my mind is going and they, but not just the fact that it's going, but they start saying, my goodness, it is all over the place. This is, this is crazy. That can throw some people off for, mm. you know, they can say, oh my goodness, my thoughts are all over the place. I must be crazy. Or I can't look at this or, or how do I make sense of this? And, and it can be a, a moment of sometimes panic for people when they, when they start witnessing all of that. But the beauty of that moment is that as soon as you start witnessing it, you have some separation from it. Mm -hmm. When you have some separation from it, all of a sudden you have a little bit of empowerment to do something about it. It's a sign that you actually are doing it right when you start to notice the relative insanity of thought. It's a sign that, hey, I'm actually no longer fully identifying with it and seeing through those eyes. I can step back and look at it and say, holy cow. Look at all this that's going on. So that's a really, really great step in the process. 
all this is going on. Now, all of a sudden, you know, the logic follows that if you can see it going on, then you are not it. You are watching it. And so once you're watching it, you don't have that identity as much of an identity with it. So you can say, wait a minute, that isn't me. That takes a little bit of time. That's kind of hard. Um, that's a hard thing to do because we are so entrenched in thought. Um, in our culture, totally, totally. thought is king in our culture. Oh, yeah. You know, if I figure this out, I can do this. If we're in the information age. Everything is information, information. If I can think, think, think. It's and, not even a question. Like you said, we're just in the middle of it. It is who and what most of us think we are. It's like, it's just, it's never questioned. Right. And yeah. So, and then you come into a context of meditation and it's suddenly like, wait a second, this is completely you know, this is a completely different paradigm of relating to myself. Yes. And it's, it's such a door opener. It is such a moment to say, wait a minute, all this is my default programming. It's just, this is just the, the way I'm running right now, but I'm not submissive to that. I'm not a slave to that. My very first spiritual meditation teacher, I was talking to her once and, and I was saying, you know, I was going about my thoughts. I'm like, oh, my thoughts are going all this way. My emotions, I can't really control it. And she turns and looks at me. She goes, well, whose thoughts are they? Whose emotions are they? If they're not yours, then, you know, you're not a slave to them. And if they are yours, you're not a slave to them either. You can say, wait a minute. I actually have some modicum of control over the situation. The way I liken it to people is that, you know, we all have somebody in our life, at least one person who... They, we, quote, we go into a quote-unquote dialogue with them, but it's not actually a dialogue. It's more of they're talking at us. Mm. They think it's a dialogue, and every once in a while you give it, oh, okay, uh-huh, but they're just talking at us. Yeah. And most people in that moment start to just tune out. Yes. And we just have to think about other things, or when is this person going to stop talking? I'm not really paying attention. And I say, you can do that same thing within your own head. Right. You can just consider that this mind, that this is just somebody talking at you, doesn't really care what you say, doesn't really care what you do. It's going to find something else to say. So like, all right, you're just that annoying friend who just won't shut up. I'm not going to pay attention to you as much anymore. I don't have to. People say, how do I get my mind to stop? And I know you've talked about this in your podcast before. You know, how do I get the minds to stop? And, and I agree with everything that's been said. It's that you don't, but that's not the point. Right. You know, I say, if you're lying in bed at night and you can't fall asleep because your mind is going, your mind is going, your mind is going, draw your awareness to another sense. Mm. Draw your awareness to sound. Listen to the crickets outside. Draw your sense to what it feels like to have your body on the sheets, your mm -hmm. head on the pillow. Mm -hmm. It's just saying, I'm actually paying attention to something else right now. I'm not paying attention to my mind. It's not going to stop the mind but I'm just not listening. I'm bringing my awareness somewhere else. Yes. So you, you've talked about awareness in the context of empowerment, that there's this, when you help people in the beginning to kind of just recognize, hey, wait a second, you're actually more aware than you realize. Mm -hmm. You're starting to empower them really mm -hmm. in their own practice. And you've, you know, you've spoken a little bit about being big on empowerment in the context of practice. Can you speak to that a little bit more? Sure. We so often feel at the whim of the world around us and certainly at the whim of the world within us. Yeah. And 
It's so not true. It's true if we kind of say like, oh, well, this happened, so blah, blah, blah. But instead, we can say, wait a minute, I can do something about the situation. And one of the greatest words for me around this is curiosity. People say like, oh, my mind is going like, aren't you curious about that? Like, huh, why, why is it doing that? What can I, or what can I do about the situation? In that there's an inherent sense of possibility. There's an inherent sense of, I can do something here. In yeah. the 12 step programs, they say awareness, you know, being, admitting you have a problem is the first step. And not to say that thinking is a problem, but it, that, what that statement is saying is that I'm bringing some awareness to this issue. Yeah. And now that I have it within my awareness, I can do something about it. I don't have to just be like a, a domino, another domino in the, in the chain of things falling down. I can say, wait a minute, I can step out of this process. Yes. I'm, I'm going to butcher this quote, so I'm just going to say I'll paraphrase it, um, that between the space between stimulus and response is freedom. So when we have a stimulus, when we feel a sensation, whether it's thought or sound or a physical sensation, an itch, a pain, we don't have to immediately respond. And we can just take a moment and be aware of what is going on right now. Hey, I don't have to be just, oh, my, my um, nose is itching. I have to scratch it right now. But if you stop for a second and you don't, aren't you curious to see what would happen if you, if you let it be? What would happen if you didn't pick up that piece of trash? What would happen? What would be happen if you didn't respond to the question in your mind? Aren't you curious about just what would happen if you don't do that? And all of a sudden, these doors start to open a possibility. And as soon as you have that slightest little bit of space, you imagine like a, a completely dark room. Doors closed, no windows, no light can get in. Nothing, there's no real possibility. But as soon as that door opens the slightest degree and you have just this, the tiniest sliver of light that comes into the room, anything is possible. Right. Number one, I, you know, I love this thread about curiosity and I think it ties very nicely back to the point we were making or you made, and then we fleshed it out a little bit more about the master and you know, it's not really about becoming a master. It's really about being someone who never stops learning. Yes. It's about being someone who never stops practicing. And I, I know from my own experience, it's my greatest breakthroughs in my practice in my life. Really, they've, they've come from questions. They've come from an engaged relationship to my practice. And they've come from questions that I pose to myself often in practice or around practice, like, what the hell was that? Or, you know, just also like, what does what I'm doing right now have to do with meditation? You know, whatever it is I'm engaged with right now that I'm torturing myself with or and that I'm very busy with or chewing on, what does that actually really have to do with me just being awake and aware and relaxed? And simple questions like that are so illuminating because they, they open up the inner landscape and I just want to underscore this point about curiosity because I feel like when I look at my own practice, the character and color of my practice, it's always changing. Mm -hmm. I mean, the process of discovery, the process of just sitting with myself, 
that's not a static thing in any way. Right. That's like a very dynamic process. The self unfolding in time while we're being still. That's an incredible, I mean, there's like, there's so much going on all the time. And when you're just being still and letting everything be, it brings all that into relief in a way you just can't see it when you're busy with the noise, when you're busy in all the ways we've been talking about. And I love the way you framed it. Curiosity, it's a cornerstone. It is. And you can when you sit and you can start watching what's going on and not have to respond right away. Yeah. All of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, oh that's cool. That's different. Huh, that was unexpected. Yeah. And that starts to open up the idea of like, well, what else is there? You know, it's, yes. if you watch a, a two-year-old walk down the street, everything is curious to them. Everything is new. Like, oh my God, a mailbox, a car. <laughs> yes. They're so entranced at like how things are new. And we were that. We all were that person at some point. Yeah. So the idea with, with this is like, how can we reclaim that? We haven't lost it. We just sort of tur- turned it down a little bit. And every once in a while it shows up like, oh, this is a new recipe. Like how, how did you flavor this? Or, hey, that's a, you know, that's a new building. I haven't seen that. It can show up every so often. Mm. But the idea is that you can bring that all the time. And you can even bring that within yourself, which I think is the coolest thing, which is what you're saying. Yeah. You can say, what is going on in here? Like, oh, well, that's interesting. Huh. I never realized I thought about that way before. Somebody asked me uh, this past week, said, do you ever, you know, do you ever get bored? You know, you've been meditating for a long time. Is it ever boring? And I say, you know, usually no. But if it is getting boring for me, that that means that there's something else for me to look at that I'm not paying attention to. Yeah. So I can start saying, huh, well, what am I missing right now? And all of a sudden there's a curiosity and an openness that comes with that. Mm. And I can start saying, oh, I didn't even, I was totally not paying attention to that. I had no idea that was going on. How about that? And it can just start a whole nother chain reaction of exploration. Yeah. It's funny how we frame questions like that. It's like, do you ever get boring? As if boring is a static thing. Because if you're interested, you know, interest is the opposite of being bored. If yes. My old teacher used to say, slightly leaning forward off balance. If you're really interested, you may encourage like some doldrums in your practice, but it's not in the way that we think about, or at least this is how I think about it. It's not how I think about like being bored when I was a kid on Sunday afternoon. Like you said, you know, it's interesting. Even the experience of flatness or low energy or whatever it is, if you're interested, it's just what's happening. Yes. The whole point is not to, you know, you're not really trying to tamper with that. Right. Boredom is also disempowered. You know, if you're Mm. bored, you're kind of like, oh, there's nothing to pay attention to. There's nothing to do. And, you know, I wish there was stimulated in some way. And that's, which is such a a disempowered perspective. Yeah. But when you, like, I agree, we use the word engaged. When you're curious, you're engaged and you're interested, then you're you're taking control over what you're doing and where you're looking and and what you're exploring. And that's Mm. entirely yours. Yeah. When you're interested in the way that we're talking about it's important because you're not pulling away from life i think about meditation often as just allowing yourself to be in some very fundamental way with life 
as life. You know, you are life. I am life. Yes. And we get layers of metaphorical dust build up. And sometimes you just sit and be that it just like wipes away the dust and there's just a clean, clear relationship. And you, you don't, it's hard to relate as life is out there or experience or objects are out there. It's just one thing. Agreed. And the dust you mentioned that gets brushed off, a lot of times when people start meditating, they get lost in what that dust is. Oh, yeah. And sometimes there's importance to that, and sometimes there isn't. And I would encourage people, if they are meditating and they come across some a realization about themselves that makes them uncomfortable, two things. One, that's a good sign. It's a sign that you're about to grow. And two, you don't have to do it all on your own. You know, if you come across something that you're like, wow, this kind of really threw me and I really didn't recognize that this behavior was up or here's an old trauma that just surfaced up that I totally blocked out of my mind for 25 years. Mm -hmm. There's no harm. In fact, there's great benefit in asking for help in working with a teacher, whether it's a traditional therapist or a friend or um, a loved one, somewhere, someone or someone who teaches meditation to say, hey, this is what came up and I'm really not sure about it. Yeah. There's a great yeah. sense of like, I'm curious about this, but I'm a little trepidatious about really stepping into what that is. Can you go, can you show me the way or can you help me with this? I agree. I think therapy is a really great compliment to meditation. I don't think you can always just, at least it's not my experience, that you can just deal with everything through meditation. There's a certain level of, especially when it comes to the things like you're talking about grief, trauma. Yes. That meditation can, I think, sometimes help you. It can give you some relief sometimes. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, I know in my own experience, it can also be a way to avoid very intense trauma. You know, if right. you, you can easily, it's possible to just go into, say, like undifferentiated awareness. If you have a strong practice, you can just do that. And, you you know, it's easy to hide, in a certain way, hide out in that rather than just sit with what's coming up for you, to sit with painful emotions. Because obviously, we don't like to do that. Right. And I feel like part of what you're pointing to is the importance of, as Tara Brock's book points to, it's really about radical acceptance. It's about yes. being with exactly what is emerging. And that's challenging. And sometimes, you know, we live in a culture where we're not supposed to feel bad things. Yeah. We're supposed to, not only are we supposed to feel good, but we can feel good at all times. Yeah. And not only can I feel good, but I can always feel better. And so we're not really trained to deal with quote unquote negative emotions. Yeah. Negative sensations. And, and, you know, it's, it's a fallacy to think that the, that the practiced meditator doesn't have thought or doesn't have emotion. In fact, I, they very much have both. It just doesn't, they don't resist either. It's yeah. not about fighting thought or saying, oh, I don't want to feel this. It's like, no, I'm going to feel this. I'm going to let the waves of grief run through me. I'm going to let the emotion happen. And meditation is, you know, like you point out, is not a panacea. It doesn't fix everything. No, It's a tool. And exactly. it depends upon how you use the tool. You can use the tool to escape and you can use it to say, you know what, I need to just step away from this for a while. And 
you know, in certain times, certain contexts, that's totally fine. It's like, I need a break. We all need a break. You know, if you're going through some real intense, you know, grief or trauma, you need a break. You need, I'm like, I'm turning off my phone and I'm taking a bath or I'm going to go watch some dumb TV for an hour. Like, cause yeah. we need a, a point to recharge. The problem is for me is that if that's only we do, we're only escaping. Um, so with meditation or with yeah. anything, you know, the, so meditation is a tool you can use to escape or you can use to really go into it and really understand it and feel it in a real way. Yeah. Before we move on, I want to reiterate the beginning point you made is to the, really for everyone's benefit. When sometimes really powerful things come up and it may be very overwhelming, there's no shame in seeking support. There's really, it's the most human thing to do often. Cause sometimes we, you just can't, you need support. Yeah. Bearing, you need support moving through it. You need support bearing it. And and thing is you can't, it can be somewhat, there's the potential for it being destabilizing if you don't. And that's like, you just want to be aware of that. You just want to be, yeah, exactly. Give yourself right. permission and it's not a sense to that, like, oh my God, I'm doing it wrong. I'm supposed to not feel anything. I'm supposed to just be calm. It's like, yeah. it's along the path, you're going to encounter some stuff that's really unsettling. It's just part of the game. It's part of it's being human. Happening. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you were talking before, it's just like, look, as human beings, we're wounded, we're traumatized. We have all these things, but it's like, we all know that. But the internalization of the I need to be happy culture that we live in of course we want to be happy but it really i think can be it can inhibit our ability to do everything we're talking about to simply just be with ourselves in a way that's just we're not running and that also that the urge to be happy and the lack of acknowledgement of not happy parts of ourselves is what leads to a lot of trouble leads to a yeah. lot of anxiety a lot of chasing like, I don't want to feel this. It's still there. Yeah. You know, you could have a, a rock in your shoe. I don't want to feel it. It's still there. Yeah. Until you take it, you know, you take your shoe off, you look at it and you, and you take the rock out. Yeah. So you can run from it, but it's still going to be there. So this um, reluctance in our culture to sit with things that are not pleasant, to mm. experience grief and sadness and pain that... Um, it really does lead to a lot of secondary issues because it's still there. You can ignore it, but it's still there. Yeah. I tell people, you know, to show this, like it's still there sort of thing, or, or we can't just wish it away is say, no matter what you do right now, Morgan, and anybody who's listening, no matter what you do, do not think of a pink elephant. And then bing, there it is. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. We spend all this time, like, I don't want to feel it. I don't want to feel it, but it's still there. Yeah. And you, you can't just wish it away. Go go through it. Experience it. And yes, I agree. You do need help sometimes to do that. Sometimes you don't, but sometimes you really do. And yeah. this is part of the process that can happen on the way towards peace, on the way towards greater awareness and calm and ease in life, is to go through some of these things that are inhibiting that in the first place. Yeah. This is great, Dave. I think so. We're moving towards wrapping up, but so I have a couple questions to round this out with. So for folks who are new to meditation, to just starting out, mm -hmm. what are some basic tips that you want to share with them? Start slow. Don't expect so much right away. 
and find the path that works for you. So, you know, if you sit in once and you try insight meditation and it just doesn't work for you, if it like you just, you know, you try it and I say not just once, but you try it, you know, you give it a fair shot and it doesn't work for you. Okay, that's fine. That may not be your style. We don't, meditation is not necessarily sitting cross-legged in the lotus position on the top of a mountain without a thought going through your mind. You can meditate, you know, through by listening to music or playing music or through sport. It's about presence and being with what shows up. So find a style and find um, a pace that works for you. There isn't, is not a one-size-fits-all model. Also start slow. Don't expect like, I'm going to sit down, I'm going to sit for 30 minutes and it's going to be great. After two minutes, you're going to want to pull your hair out. (laughs) And that's totally all right. There are some days that I will sit and meditate myself and my mind is just really going and I'm, and I'm having a hard time not engaging in it. Yeah. And the best thing I can say to myself, the most separate I can get is like, well, that's just where I am today. I'm just really connected with my mind. And yeah. I've been meditating on and off for a really long time and I still get hung up in it. So, you know, I want to soften expectation. Try a couple minutes at a day, you know, try two or three minutes in the morning, two or three minutes at night and just sit and just do nothing and just see what happens. You might find that it helps to listen to somebody guide you in meditation. You might find it helps to sit in silence, play with it, you know, have some curiosity around it. Don't write it off right away if, if you have some difficulty. Difficulty is part of the process. Great. Also, another question. Can you say a little bit about who have been lately or just in your life, who have been great inspirations to you? Who inspires you? It's a really interesting thing for me. So I'm, I'm a runner. I've run a couple of marathons, and, and I, I enjoy running. And Last year, I went and supported um, a friend who was running the Bay State uh, Marathon. She was running the half marathon. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we get a sense of runners. You might think of super angular and weighing 103 pounds and, you know, can run like the wind. And that's not often the case. That's what you might see on TV if you watch the Olympics or whatever, but that's not the average runner. So I'm, I'm I see my friend go, but then I also, I'm also watching other runners who I don't know who are running. And there is this one woman who, if you saw her on the street, there's no way you would assume that she was a runner. She was quite overweight, but she had her head down and she was just going. She was right in it. And I felt so in awe of her commitment, of her effort, of her determination that there's no way that's easy. That's, that's mm. not an easy thing. Even if you're super fit, mm. you know, running 13 miles or 26 miles is not an easy thing to do. Oh, yeah. And you don't have to be in a particular shape in order to do it. You don't have to be the super angular 103-pound person. So here's somebody who was, you know, quite overweight, but she was just in it. And she was doing it and she was moving at whatever speed she was going. And she was – there was such determination in her – I got goosebumps. I'm getting goosebumps now just thinking about it. Yeah, um, that's inspiring. That sort of is is what's been most inspiring to me lately is this, you know, commitment and not looking the part but doing it anyway and knowing you can and feeling just super empowered in that moment. Nice. Super empowered is a great note to end on. So, Dave, 
I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining Thank us. Thank you, Morgan. And before we go, if people want to follow up with you, if they want to learn more about your work, if they want to get in touch with you, how can they do that? So uh, I'm a part of a, a holistic healing practice in Andover, Massachusetts, and we're called Clear and Now. And so we have our website is clearandnowhealing.com, C-L-E-A-R-A-N-D, nowhealing.com. There, my email is on there. We, are, we have a blog on there. We have the recordings from the meditation group that I run um, are on there as well, free of charge, open to download. Great. So I, I will link that up in the show notes, everyone. I'll, I'll put that link over at aboutmeditation.com slash podcast. So you can check that out. Great. Thanks. That's the best way to get in touch with me. And I'm, I'm happy to answer questions or talk to people about, about this or other things along the way. Fantastic. And what, Dave, do you have coming up? Do you have any new projects or? Yeah, yeah. I am. I've put together all of the information that I've garnered over my time meditating and practicing holistic medicine and created uh, what I call an awareness school. So it's going to be an eight-week program that runs from September through uh, November. It's once a week. It's, it's Thursday nights for a couple hours. And we're going to really talk about awareness. And it's going to be a personal class. I'm not going to be big. I don't mm -hmm. want it to be 30 or 40 people. I want it to be small. So people have a chance to say, hey, this is what came up for me this week. And the idea behind it is how do you get a sense of what your awareness is? How do you rein in some control over it? And then answer, so what? Once you have a sense of what your awareness is, how do you use that to build presence, to build compassion, to even develop some intuition? What do you do with awareness once you build it? And it's a, I'm really excited about this project um, for helping people get a better understanding of who they are and how they are in the world. Fantastic, man. That's great. That sounds like a very worthy project. Thank you. I'm really, really excited about this. And is that on your website as well? Yes. It's an in-person course for now, um, but the information's all on there. Um, my goal is to turn it into an online course, but we'll see how that unfolds over time. Wonderful. Dave, thank you so much. Thank you, Morgan. I hope you enjoyed my interview with Dave. If you want to connect with Dave or learn more about his work, I've included a few links in the show notes. You can find those at www.onemind.com. That's www.onemind.com. And if you want to help us out, one way you can do that is by leaving us a rating and a review over on iTunes. It's the number one way to help other people discover this show. So it's a big help. If you enjoy the podcast, please head over to iTunes right now and leave us a review. Let me know. How am I doing here? Are you benefiting from this ongoing inquiry into meditation? I'd love to know. I'd love to hear from you. Also, this show is sponsored by our Meditation for Life guided meditations. You can pick those up for free over at aboutmeditation.com. So check those out. It's aboutmeditation.com. And finally, let's end with a quote. And today, 
We're going to end with one from the author of Radical Acceptance, which we spoke about today, Tara Brock. And she says, Awakening self-compassion is often the greatest challenge people face on the spiritual path. Awakening self-compassion is often the greatest challenge people face on the spiritual path.